0: G'day, welcome to Partakers. This is a series of studies called a Luke Looks Back, based in the Gospel of Luke, and is presented to us by Roger Kirby. Over to you, Roger. This is Study 25, from Luke chapter 20 through to the 4th verse of chapter 21, some seven challenges that Jesus gives to his hearers. The first four of these challenges are quite substantial, with definite context. The others, well, less so. The first challenge is in chapter 20, verses 1 to 8, which we will now read.
1: One day, as he was teaching the people in the temple courts and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, together with the elders, came up to him. Tell us by what authority you are doing these things. They said, "'Who gave you this authority?' He replied, "'I will ask you a question. Tell me, John's baptism, was it from heaven or from men?' They discussed it among themselves and said, "'If we say, from heaven, he will ask, "'Why didn't you believe him?' "'But if we say, from men,' All the people will stone us, because they are persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered, We don't know where it was from. Jesus said, Neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things.
0: The question of authority is of great importance. There is no direct answer here. So we need to go to John chapter 5, verses 31 to 47, to find one. Question 1. Where does Jesus say his authority comes from, or is testified to, in these verses, which I'm just about to read? Listen carefully, and count the different sources you can hear. You should get six different ones. And to that I will add... Where does the authority of what we say or do come from? Here then are these verses from John chapter 5. If I testify about myself, Jesus says, my testimony is not valid. There is another who testifies in my favour, and I know that his testimony about me is valid. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have testimony weightier than that of John, for the very work that the Father has given me to finish, and which I am doing, testifies that the Father has sent me, and the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You diligently study the scriptures, because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept praise from men, but I know you, I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe if you accept praise from one another, yet make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from the only God? But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believe Moses, you would believe me, For he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? You should have got as sources of authority John the Baptist, the works of Jesus, his father, the scriptures, Moses, and his own words. Our main authority should be the word of God in the Scriptures. All other authorities are secondary to them. And now we come to the second challenge, which is in chapter twenty, verses nine to nineteen. It's based on Isaiah chapter five, one to seven, which I will read first. I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard, my loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a winepress as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now, you dwellers in Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I look for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I will tell you what I am going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall, and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are the garden of his delight. He looked for justice, but saw bloodshed, for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. Now we read those verses in Luke's gospel.
1: He went on to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers, and went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants, so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but that one also was beaten and treated shamefully and sent away empty-handed. He sent still a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I shall send my son, whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him. And the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When the people heard this, they said, May this never be. Jesus looked directly at them and asked, Then What is the meaning of that which is written, The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. The teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately because they knew he had spoken this parable against them. And they were afraid of the people.
0: This story of the tenants, or perhaps we should call it one of the vineyard owner, is one of the most significant of all the parables, with the clearest foreshadowing of the future of Jesus. Question 2. What is the expected answer to the vineyard owner's question? What shall I do? after the first three servants have been beaten and sent back empty-handed. What, therefore, is the significance of the given answer, I will send my son? The expected answer is that he will declare war on the tenants and have them beaten or killed to restore his honour, which has been so shamed. Instead, the owner, that is God, makes himself vulnerable to the behaviour of the tenants, that is, the temple leadership. Thus a new way of humility, love and grace is displayed before the watching world. That vulnerability is displayed in the owner sending his son. The son is killed, and only then is it said that the owner will kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Question 3. What is the significance of that? We'll kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. For the original hearers and for us. This suggests that the incarnation of Jesus constituted a last chance for the leadership of Israel. They failed the test. Jesus is the first and last chance for us. Jesus' comment on the parable is a quotation from the Psalms, 118 in fact. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. And one from Isaiah. The Lord Almighty will be a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They will fall and be broken. They will be snared and captured. Son in Hebrew is Ben. Stone is Eben. This is probably a deliberate word play. Question four. What should we, the second set of tenants, the replacement tenants, learn from this story? God is infinitely gracious in what he has done for us, but we must not presume on his loving kindness. If we despise his Son and his graciousness, we shall be in serious trouble. Now challenge 3 in chapter 20 verses 20 to 26.
1: Keeping a close watch on him, they sent spies who pretended to be honest. They hoped to catch Jesus in something he said so that they might hand him over to the power and authority of the governor. So the spies questioned him. Teacher, We know that you speak and teach what is right and that you do not show partiality but teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? He saw through their duplicity and said to them, Show me a denarius, whose portrait and inscription are on it. Caesar's, they replied. He said to them, Then give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. They were unable to trap him in what he said there in public, and astonished by his answers, they became silent.
0: This is about the relationship between church and state. Should we, A, resist, have nothing to do with politics, B. Accept. Have a modest involvement only. C. Challenge. Be politically active for the betterment of society. Since hearers and readers of this will come from so many different countries with so many different situations, I will have to leave you without an answer, so it will be best if I do not actually ask the question. There is, however, a deeper meaning often missed. We'll make that question five. If we compare verse 24, which says, whose portrait and inscription are on it, that is, the denarius, the coin, with Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, which says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, what does this imply? If the the denarius belongs to Caesar, we, not just our coins, belong to God. And we go on to read Challenge 4, verses 27 to 40 of this chapter 20.
1: Some of the Sadducees who said there is no resurrection came to Jesus with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and have children for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. The first one married a woman and died childless. The second and then the third married her, and in the same way the seven died, leaving no children. Finally, the woman died too. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be, since the seven were married to her? Jesus replied, The people of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy of taking part in that age and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage, and they can no longer die, for they are like the angels, they are God's children, since they are children of the resurrection. But in the account of the bush, even Moses showed that the dead rise, for he calls the Lord the God of Abram, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living for to him all are alive. Some of the teachers of the law responded, Well said, teacher. And no one dared to ask him any more questions.
0: People often assume that we shall be united with our loved ones in heaven, although this is not clearly stated in Scripture. Jesus' answer to the seven husbands' teaser probably has no implications for that assumption, since it is an impossible situation anyway. The following three much smaller challenges all have very little given context. First, challenge 5, verses 41 to 44.
1: Then Jesus said to them, How is it that they say, The Christ is the Son of David? David himself declares in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. David calls him Lord. How then can he be his son?
0: It is not easy to see what Jesus meant when he said this. Luke probably records it because it was very meaningful for the early church, about 40 years later, when they must have been quite puzzled to know who exactly Jesus was. They were worshipping him. Did that make him God? We know now that it did, and he was. But they must have been unsure about that for many years. These verses are a part answer to their questions. What Jesus said equates the Messiah with the son of David. That is not literally true, since David died a long time before. It is a useful reminder that the expression, the Son of God, is not to be taken as grossly literal either, as some people try to do. We move on to Challenge 6, verses 45 to 47.
1: While all the people were listening, Jesus said to his disciples, Beware of the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted in the marketplace and have the most important seats in the synagogues and in the places of honour at banquets. They devour widows' houses and, for a show, make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely. Question
0: 6. Jesus did not actually condemn the privileges given to the teachers of the law. What did he condemn? What are the present-day equivalents of these? In particular, in what ways can we err in the way we participate in a prayer meeting? What Jesus condemned were wrong attitudes to those privileges. They were to be things treasured and used for the benefit of other people, not for private vanity. Should a minister dress differently from other people, unless it is for a purpose such as recognition as he visits a hospital? That's a good question. I don't know what the answer is. We need to be careful when we take part in a prayer meeting, that we are not taking part because we like other people to hear our voice. And finally, the seventh challenge – Is the first four verses of chapter 21.
1: As he looked up, Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. I tell you the truth, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth. But she, out of her poverty, has put in all she had to live on.
0: Question 7. Is this realistic advice? Is all she had to live on wise giving? If we do that, we will end up in court for non-payment of utility bills or have to rely on other members of our family to give us food. So, what can we take from this passage? Yet again, this is all about motives and attitudes. A very few Christians can imitate this situation, but they have to be a very few, or we would all starve. Perhaps this is another of Jesus' overstatements for effect. And there we end this series of seven challenges. Thanks, Roger. This series is on every Sunday, but as usual on Partakers, .partakers
1: www.partakers.co.uk, there is something new available every day to inspire your Christian life.